On today's episode, we're unpacking a topic that's not often openly discussed, infertility. Melinda listens to three different guests about their journey with infertility, all with three different outcomes. Let's learn together right here on See Here Love. Well, welcome to See Here Love. I'm your host, Melinda. And today's topic is a difficult one. It is a necessary one to learn about. And that topic is infertility. With this topic, it's my hope that people that are struggling with infertility will know that they are not alone, that this conversation is needed and important and will encourage those who are struggling. And for some of you, I think I need to define infertility. It is a disease of the male and female reproductive system defined by the failure to achieve pregnancy after 12 months or more. So today I'm gonna be listening to the stories of three different individuals with three different outcomes of their infertility journey. You know, many of my friends and people that I know uh, have struggled with infertility, and this show is for them and for you if you're struggling today. So now let's listen to three courageous stories and journeys of infertility. Well, our first guest today is Sheridan Voisey. He's the author of Resurrection Year and the Making of Us, a speaker and broadcaster. And Sheridan and his wife, Marin, have an incredible story. After they were unable to conceive, they tried healing prayer and natural remedies and IVF and explored adoption. And 10 years in, his wife did get pregnant, but it was unsuccessful. And today, Sheridan is with me to talk about what those 10 years were like as they struggled with infertility, about broken dreams, walking through the wilderness, and what next? Sheridan, welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Melinda. Thanks for the invite. Love that you're in Oxford, UK as well. So welcome to Canada here, <laughs> across <laughs> Almost the world. As good. Almost <laughs> as good a place, right? Yeah, yes. I mean, Oxford, it's an amazing city. <laughs> you know, all the wonderful church leaders of the past have all kind of come through here or, you know, originated from here. So it's a holy place as much as a place of influence and education, of course, right around the world. Yeah, so wonderful to have you. So, Sheridan, the 10 years, um, the wilderness years with you and your wife, Marin, you tried various fertility treatments. What was those 10 years like for you and Marin? When I sat down to write Resurrection Year, which really tells the story, I went and reviewed 10 years of journals. And that really helped me to put the whole 10 years into perspective. And Merrin would come home sometimes and she would find me elated because I was at a point in the journal journey that was quite positive. And other times she would come home and she would find me in the depths of despair because I was reliving those difficult times. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to go through sections of that 10 years again ever. And particularly that night on Christmas Eve of 2010 that you alluded to when we had the news that after 10 years of trying, we had been told we were pregnant and there was elation amongst our family and friends and we couldn't believe it. In fact, we were in shock. And then on Christmas Eve, we get a phone call from the IVF clinic saying, I'm sorry, you're not. Mm. And our whole life collapsed. That would have to be the darkest moment in our life. And I would never want to go back that, to that point again. There were bright points along those 10 years. 
but it was lonely, very difficult to talk about this with other people, very difficult to find people who understood. It was difficult to find answers to some of my ethical questions about IVF and reproductive technologies at the time, a lot more resources available now, but it was hard then. There was shame involved. There was guilt involved. From, from my perspective, there was guilt. I couldn't give my wife what she desperately wanted. And then there was just a lot of sadness when month after month after month for 10 years, you don't get what you're praying for. That's just a few of the feelings I think that that 10 years explores. Okay, that's a lot of feelings, Sheridan. <sighs> you know, when I listen to you, I I know that those feelings resonate with a lot of people who are struggling with infertility today. I want to sort of focus in on sort of that hiddenness of shame and secrecy, because there still seems to be that when we talk about infertility, even, even planning the show, it was, we asked people to share their story, you know, um, and it was very actually difficult to get people who were courageous, and I don't say courageous, but willing to share something so personal and intimate. Why is that still today something that people still feel shame, shameful about? Uh, there's a number of answers to that. Um, the first is that you're kind of afraid as to what you're going to be told in response to that. So you've got all the cliches, oh, just relax and it'll happen. And oh, if you pray hard enough, have enough faith, if you're in Christian community, you'll, you, you might get that, um, you know, or maybe it's something demonic, or maybe there's a generational curse on you, all of those kinds of things. And I can tell you now, a couple going through that kind of journey, particularly as the time goes on, the years go on, you don't want to deal with that anymore. So that can be one aspect. Um, the second aspect is that uh, very well-meaning people can kind of want to quickly lay hands on you and pray, uh, or they can want to tell you how difficult life is with children and, uh, oh gosh, you know, oh, I'd rather not have them, you know. Uh, and they've just come back from a lovely family holiday and you've seen all of their snaps on Facebook. Um, so there can be those kinds of things as well. Here's the really interesting thing, Melinda, from a faith perspective, is that there were times when Merrin didn't want anybody to pray for her anymore. And you kind of go, oh, hang on a sec, we're Christians. Uh, we're supposed to welcome prayer at any point in time. But you think about it. Proverbs 13, 12, a wonderful verse which many of our viewers will know about. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Now, if you've been going month after month after month, and then maybe year after year after year of that hope being deferred every single 28 days, then when you have somebody pray for you and the expectation goes up that next month and it comes crashing down, after time, you don't want anybody to pray for you anymore because you can't handle that expectation disappointment, expectation disappointment, expectation disappointment. So it brings a faith journey into it that is difficult. It's hard to share that with other people as well because sometimes they don't get it. And on top of all of this is the male perspective. There is such an interweaving of masculinity and the ability to sire a child in our Western cultures. Even though we're so cosmopolitan and even though that's kind of moving away, it's still there very much. So if you are a husband and you're on this journey, you might not even be the biological cause of the problem, as I was. You can still feel humongous shame because you're a man, and one of the things of proving your masculinity is being able to sire a child and it's not happening. 
And that's very difficult, very, very difficult for men to find safe places to be able to talk about the feelings of, of, of infertility for them as well. So, look, there's just three or four yeah. possible answers to your question. There's many more. How was your relationship with Marin during this time? You know, I think going through something like this can take a real toll on any marriage or relationship. Great question. Really important question. Uh, Marin and I now know why a very high percentage of couples who go through infertility over a long period of time, sometimes the marriage doesn't survive. And there are so many dif difficult decisions to make. And sometimes you're not on the same page. In fact, let me tell you a story. When we were just starting to look into doing IVF and we were sitting down with an IVF counsellor talking about the options and things like that, um, she said, now, you know, you should, you should know that IVF can put a real strain on a marriage. And we thought at that stage that she was talking about the effect of the IVF drugs, which um, can play all sorts of havoc with the emotions of the woman um, and they, they heighten her fertility and then they kind of plunge her down almost into like a menopause for a period of time. It's a, it's a very strange effect that happens. She said, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about decision-making. I'm talking about when one of you wants to do another round of IVF and another round and another round and the other partner actually says, no, I'm done. Uh, or what about when you're looking at adoption, whether you go overseas or local, all of those kinds of questions. And Merrin said to this counsellor, actually, Sheridan and I have already talked about that and we've already made the, the decision that if having a child gets in the way of our marriage, then we will stop that journey. Our marriage will come first. And, you know, Melinda, that counsellor, all objective as she was, you know, she slumped in her chair and she said, I'm so glad to hear you say that because just yesterday... I had a couple sit in the very same two chairs that you're sitting in now, and the woman said to me in front of her husband, if this doesn't work, if we don't have children, the marriage is over. So incredible amounts of stress. I would have been happy to have finished our fertility journey five years earlier than Marin. So there were compromises on both sides, but we weren't always on the same page even after praying sometimes, which I think was very interesting because generally we had always come out on the same page when we had mm -hmm. prayed about these things. So we understand the pressure. We just had to have a lot of couch time. We sat on that couch and we talked things through and we prayed things through. And if we still hadn't come to a kind of a common decision, we would go and talk more, pray more, go away, come back and work as hard as we could to arrive at a, a joint decision on some of these things. Wow. That's really good. I think that's really important. I wanted to bring that up because I've, I've known and heard of the toll that's had on friends and their marriages and, you know, to make that commitment to one another that even at the cost of not having a child, but to save our relationship was a priority for you and Marin. It's good. It's good, Sheridan. So important. Yeah. So important. Now you alluded about prayer and faith, and I want to ask really honestly, like, when you pray for something good, well-meaning, biblical, something that we're supposed to do, and it doesn't happen, what does that do? I mean, maybe for you and Marin, your faith, but I think maybe I'm, I'm speaking, Sheridan, for, for people who, you know, well-meaning ask for things, and they don't get it, and they're really disappointed, and then question, is there a God? Does he love me? Was there something wrong? What was your journey uh, with God through this? You know, because I think that's an important conversation discussion to have as well. 
Oh, very much so. So in terms of our spiritual effects, uh, they were slightly different for both Merrin and myself. When you pray, and over time you still don't get what you're praying for, there are one of two very common responses that you can have. One is you kind of shake your fist at God and say, come on, God, why aren't you coming through for me? And the other one is to say, well, no, God's all perfect. He knows the, the, the perfect plan for our lives. Maybe it's me. Merrin took option one, and I took option two. So Merrin would say that for, for some years, actually, her relationship with God was really quite cool. And uh, she'd never stopped believing in God at, at all. Um, but she was, they were frosty. The relationship was frosty. And I had to be really careful. This might be helpful for some people as well. I had to be really careful that I didn't try to jolly her along spiritually. That's a, probably a very British phrase, jolly her along, but, you know, try and encourage her, push her, you know, to, to make progress with God faster than what she can. There is a grief journey to go through spiritually with this, and you've got to try and work out those big questions. Who am I? If I'm not going to become a mum, who am I going to become? And if I'm not going to become a mum and if I'm not going to raise children, I'm not going to nurture children, particularly, particularly if that's what you've always wanted to do, well, what am I going to do with my life? So identity and purpose come in involved in this as well. It's incredibly intermeshed with a whole variety of, of big life questions. And then for me, it was just like, well, God is all perfect and all good and all loving, and so maybe the problem is with me. And so I went down the whole quite destructive path, I think, of thinking to myself at times, uh, Sheridan, maybe the reason Merrin can't have, have what she desperately wants is because you don't have enough faith. Maybe there's some sort of secret sin. Um, you know, maybe there is something in your past that is somehow binding you. Um, we went down all of those paths and neither is helpful. Both are common, neither is helpful. And yet, you may well have friends and family members who are going down those paths. And so just accept them where they are, uh, help them to unravel some of these things. It's not going to be done overnight. Um, and yet it's the people who keep on walking, even despite the dark clouds, that are able to move on and break through into new understandings of God's goodness, new understandings of God's calling and purpose for their lives, even if they don't have answers at the end. I can tell you now, several years after we brought our journey of trying to start a child to an end, that we still wouldn't say we have an answer as to why we were never given a child. You look around and you can see that people in the world are given children and they abuse them. And you kind of go, well, where's the justice yeah. in that? We would have been great parents. So we don't have the answer as to why we didn't get the kid and somebody else did. But we have been able to see our life experience recycled into something quite powerful, which I never would have expected. Um, and that's been helping people start again from their own broken dreams, helping people to grow through disappointment like that. And I can honestly tell you now, Melinda, as we sit here right now, I can honestly say that it's in moments like that, when you don't know who you are, who you're going to become, when everything's up in the air, those can actually be the moments that God uses to be the making of us, to actually craft us into the people that we are called to be and to do the work that he has really called us to do. And within those two answers can come some immense fruitfulness and joy as a result. Wow. 
Sheridan, you, you answered my question. I was going to talk about sort of the next step for you out of the wilderness and into the making of us. But I would say, wow, I think that's that's right on. It's that, you know, life is full of that, you know, disappointments and things that we didn't expect and outcomes that we had hoped for that didn't happen. And I just love your posture and the way that you said that so much. So Sharon, let's end with this. So for the person who is in the wilderness right now and struggling, maybe angry at God, their relationship isn't going so well, they're blaming themselves, they are working through shame and secrecy. How would you encourage them today as they are journeying through their own infertility story and wilderness? Okay. Number one, please make a commitment that your marriage is more important than having a child. This sounds very harsh, but I really believe it's the best commitment you can make at this point. Your marriage is more important than having a child. If you have a child, wow, fantastic. What an extra blessing. But keep that priority first. Number two, stay in the room with each other and with God. It may be that you stay in the room with each other and you're not talking, but at least you're in the room. Um, and maybe you're staying in the room with God and you're not talking, but at least you're in the room. Just stay. Keep the communication lines open. Thirdly, for the couple who's going through this, uh, I would say there are a lot more resources now than when we were doing it. And this is only a few years ago. Um, mm. There are some wonderful websites. Uh, Salt, Water and Honey is a great one based on some um, folks here in the UK that has become a real hub for couples, Christian couples wrestling with infertility. So there's a lot more community around. Um, I would also say as part of that, uh, there are also groups specifically for men. We know that there's lots of groups for women, but there's specific groups specifically for men. You can try and find those out as well. Find one safe guy to talk about this with and to talk about the feelings and talking about the emotions that are that are a part of this. Some research was done here in the United Kingdom a couple of years ago by Leeds Beckett University. It found that infertility affects men in all sorts of detrimental ways, their self-esteem, um, their sense of identity, uh, often even their income levels, uh, their sense of masculinity. That just stays there. And I get too many emails from guys who email me and say, I've never talked about this to anybody, mm -hmm. and I, I think I'm going to go crazy if I don't. You know, I want them... Email me if you like, but I would much rather you sit down with a with a good mate or with your pastor or with somebody that you know who's going to listen, not jump into trying to fix a solution or spiritualize it, but just to be there and be present with you so that you can talk through those kinds of emotions. And number three, um, or number four, I'm probably up to, um, a greater tragedy than a broken dream is to have a life forever defined by it. And oh, wow. there is a life after childlessness. Now, statistically, most couples wrestling with this, something will work. God will come through and answer a prayer. IVF will work. Adoption will work. A very small percentage of us, like ourselves, don't get it. And life can go on. And that's the big fear that actually the couple watching us probably have. Who will I be? What am I, what am I going to do with my life if mm -hmm. I can't have kids and I can't connect in with society when everybody else is having families, particularly in church? There is a good, purposeful, meaningful, bright, flourishing life ahead of you as you walk forward with the hand of God. Yes. Sheridan, yes, yes, and yes. I love that. And I think everybody needs to get 
uh, your books, Resurrection Year, about your story. Um, I know we just sort of like touched on it a bit in this interview, but your story and then the making of us and what you're just saying here is that there is purpose for you. Even if you you don't get a child, there's purpose for you. Beautiful, beautiful. Sheridan, thank you so much. Thank Marin as well for, for, for sharing her story uh, sort of from you. Uh, thank you for just your courage to speak, uh, to, to be a man speaking into this, this topic of infertility, I think is really important. And I'm so glad I had a chance to listen to you and to hear your thoughts. Very encouraging and inspiring today. So thank you so much for being with me. Great to be with you, Belinda, and thank you for tackling this topic. You will be really blessed as a result. You're helping a lot of people even just by having this conversation. Thank you so much. Hey, it's Chris, friend of See, Here Love with Melinda. Sorry to interrupt this conversation, but I just had to let you know that the only way that See, Here Love gets to produce fun and authentic conversations like this one is through your financial donations. So go to seeherelove.com and click on the big donate button. Thanks for your support. Let's get back to the show. From the host of See, Here Love, Melinda Estabrooks and 50 of her guests and friends comes the book, Always Know full of stories of lives that are inspiring, wise, and life-changing. God hears you. He hears your prayers. He hears the longing for connection. He hears the cries of pain that you're experiencing, and He loves you deeply. This month, with your ministry gift of $25 or more, or when you become a new monthly donor, request your copy of Always Know. It is a collection of stories to help you today in the things that you're struggling with, the things that you were confronted with. And I know that these stories will encourage you. Call 1-800-265-3100 or visit seeherelove.com slash always know and request your copy. See Here Love is where you are. Find our hopeful and inspiring faith stories on your favorite platform and encouraging content daily on Instagram and Facebook. To learn more and stay updated, sign up for our newsletter on seeherelove.com. Well, my next guest is Reverend Dr. Stacy Edwards Dunn, an ordained minister, a fertility coach, a counselor, and a writer. She's also the executive minister of Community Engagement and Transformation at Trinity United Church of Christ in Chicago. And she is the founder of a national organization, Fertility for Colored Girls. Reverend Stacy did seven cycles of IVF before getting pregnant with her daughter in 2014. And she's here today to talk with us um, about her infertility journey and her organization, Fertility for Colored Girls. Reverend Stacy, welcome to See Here Love. Thank you so much, Melinda, for having me. I am honored to be here today. Well, Reverend Stacey, let's start off with your story and and the struggle, the process, uh, so we can get to know you a little bit more through through this this journey. Um, well, thank you again. Um, well, my story simply begins, I think, as a child. You know, all my life since I was a little girl. I've always known that I wanted to be a mother. Um, that was at the core and the crux of who I, I, I am. Um, many of my girlfriends would even say that I was the mother of 
you know, the girlfriends of Pac. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, um, so, but all my life, that is something that I wanted. While at the same time, all my life, I also, you know, wanted to be able to establish my career. Um, you know, of course, be a good citizen to get married as well. And so I did all of that. And I did all of that as I was um, told to do by my parents, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in order ended up becoming a minister, accepted my call into ministry and started working in the ministry in 2002. Um, and so um, in, at the age of 37, I ended up getting married and my husband and I made the decision to forge forward to have a family because of course I wasn't getting any younger. He had right. children. We didn't have children together, but we forged forward. So we mm -hmm. forged forward, um, go see the doctor, and we would find out that um, we would receive a diagnosis of infertility. And a diagnosis that I would have never thought that mm -hmm. I would have been, you know, I would have received. Why? Because in my mind and in my community, the myth was is that Black women were hyperfertile. So this, oh. this idea of infertility would not pertain to me because as a Black woman, mm -hmm. I thought when I was ready to have a baby, I would be able to have a baby, even just at looking at my husband, because I was a Black woman. And that's right. what women are supposed to do. You know, I want to ask you this. I mean, the journey, wow. Uh, how were you doing? Like you said earlier that, there's a lot of loneliness and that, you know, you know, black women don't talk about this. You're supposed to get, that's the expectation. What are you internalizing Reverend Stacy, through this about yourself, you and your husband, um, you know, the secrecy and shame. What was that like for you? Um, it was, it was challenging because again, um, you know, I didn't have anybody to really talk to about it. Um, and I think also I always share with everyone that not only was I, am I a black woman, um, I'm black, I'm woman, and then I was clergy. And I felt right. that I was able to pray for everyone else to be successful, but in my own life, I was not able to be successful. And um, part of the African-American culture is that we don't tell people our business. And so I didn't want people to know that part of my business. Right. And so I did live in shame until I could find, you know, some, you know, um, some people to have the conversation with. And one of the things that happened was that, again, you know, you would go into fertility clinics and there would be few people that look like me or, mm -hmm. you know, a women of color in a, in a fertility clinic. Again, I had very few girlfriends that were, had experienced this. And I would find out that more had experienced it than I knew, but they weren't talking about it. Mm -hmm. Even as a pastor, one of the things I found out, Melinda, Melinda um, as a result of my experiences, you know, the shame, the frustration, um, the loneliness, and also these encounters, I found that there was no place for Black women and couples and other women of color to go to share their unique experiences about their infertility, because we do have some very unique experience. Yes, mm -hmm. men, you know, all, you know, Women of all ethnicities struggle with infertility, but there are some unique experiences for women of color and particularly for black women or women and men who have been kissed by nature's son. And so those unique experiences, I needed a place to be able to go talk to with people that got it, that understood that we're not going to critique me. Mm -hmm. And so um, as a result of those encounters, those experiences and knowing that there was a void um, God led me to start Fertility for Colored Girls. 
Unbelievable. And so you're on what cycle when you got pregnant? Because it wasn't just like an overnight. This was cycle after cycle after cycle and and deep disappointment, right? right. Reverend right. Stacy, like yes. it was a lot of deep disappointment, a lot of heartbreak, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of grief. But in the midst of that time, which was 2012, was my sixth cycle. Mm-hmm. That's when God led me to start Fertility for Color Girls. And I always tell people about in, in March of 2013. And I always tell people that Fertility for Color Girls was the first baby that I was called <laughs> to give birth to. And not too long after that, my husband and I made the decision to forge forward with an adoption. With adoption, mm-hmm. well, we didn't move forward with it because. Both of us, after um, we had put a down payment down um, to start the process, had meetings with the adoption agency, and he came back and said, let's, let's pause on the adoption. He says, I think we need to do one more cycle. He said, because I think if we do one more cycle, it's going to work. I was like, wow, well, out of pocket. He was like, I'm not worried about it. You know, let's forward. Forward, right. And so in December of 2013, on January 2nd of 2014, I would find out that uh, I was pregnant with our daughter, who was now six years old. Oh, like teary. And it was like the world stopped. I mean, my dog stopped in his tracks. I mean, everything stopped on the day that we got our call. And Melinda was so beautiful because... Wow. It wasn't just one person calling me to tell me that I was pregnant. It was an office of people who were standing there to let me know that we were pregnant and how excited they were to let us know that we were finally successful and to let us know that they prayed over our embryos Mm -hmm. because they wanted us to be be parents just as much as we did. You know, for for. African-American women for, you know, black women in Canada and, and around the world that still live in shame and stigma, you know, culturally and societally and for family. What's your encouragement to those women who are struggling now who are keeping it hidden or secret? What What's your advice and encouragement to them? Well, first of all, um, Melinda, I want um, the women to know that they are not alone. The reality is, is that this is a huge issue. There are so many women um, who are here to support you. You know, there mm-hmm. is hope, you know, and uh, there's hope because you have options. There's hope because there's other people who are waiting to hold up your arms that are not going to judge you, not going to critique you, but going to um, listen and meet you right where you are to walk with you on your journey. Wow. Reverend Dr. Stacy Edwards done amazing, amazing journey for you, your story. I could listen to you for hours. Um, So thankful for the work that you're doing. Uh, Again, we celebrate with you, uh, with Shiloh, and we just thank you for your voice and presence and courage and resilience and faithfulness to God's calling on your life. So thank you so much uh, for being with me today. Thank you so much for having me. God bless you. No matter what season of life you're in, you know the feeling of longing for what's next. By our nature, we always want what we don't yet have, don't we? When I was a child, I wanted to grow up fast, just so I could experience shaving my legs, plucking my brows, and wearing makeup. As a teen, I couldn't wait to be working, earning money so that I could finally get the things that I wanted. And when I was a young adult, I longed to be married, to share my life with someone who loved me really, truly deeply. 
And when I was married, my only desire became to be a mother. I know what it's like to be in a season where we don't know what the answer will be and we're in a period of waiting. My husband and I were told after many years of trying to conceive that the test results were negative. They didn't know why we weren't getting pregnant. I remember feeling confused and even more consumed with the various what-if scenarios. And it was during this tumultuous season while serving on staff at my local church that a colleague and friend approached me while on retreat about the practice of a full life confession. I didn't know what that meant, but it was willing to try anything. And so we paused and we prayed and the Spirit of God brought to mind instances that needed to be brought to light. I remember weeping as I poured out my heart to God in my heaviness grew lighter. Today, Timothy is eight years old and Amelia is five. And while I know my own personal experience in this season of incredible doubt is not everyone's experience, it taught me how to lean on God, trusting him fully when I don't understand or can't make sense of my current reality. That season also trained me for other trials that would come up in our lives and say God is good and he is faithful and trustworthy. Matthew 6 says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. These words are an invitation to be single-mindedly focused and consumed with our worship of an almighty God, to embrace his presence in our present everyday circumstances and to orient our present lives around his purposes. It's words of comfort and needed perspective given to combat our daily worries and anxieties and to be strengthened in our inner being no matter the outcome. As you wait on God for your particular situation, may you yield yourself to him, finding joy and contentment in Christ alone. Well, my next guest story and journey with infertility is just beautiful, is such a redemption story. Charmaine Balmer and her husband, Mark, struggled with infertility for four years before and I'm going to leave it with that, Charmaine, because I want you to fill in the gaps of that story. So let's start off first. You and Mark struggled with infertility for four years. What was that journey like for you and Mark? Well, to be honest with you, it was a total surprise because we got married in 1991 and we were just finishing up school in university in Canada. And then we moved down to California. And he started as a youth pastor intern there. And, you know, we thought we did what everybody does, most people. We thought, oh, we'll wait a six months to a year and maybe, you know, we'll start trying for a family. And that's what we did. And didn't really think much of the fact that it didn't start, to, nothing happened six months to a year. And then I started, you know, kind of wondering. And, you know, this is almost 30 years ago now. And no one really talked about infertility then and I had just didn't even ever come across my mind that this might be an issue and we went to a doctor and they said oh just relax you're fine it's you know you're young so we ended up moving to Florida after being there for about two two and a half years and I had started to um, really start to struggle with the fact that I couldn't get pregnant two three years into this journey we started pursuing adoption and I remember the first thing I read on the adoption application was, have you grieved the inability to have a child? And if you haven't, wow. you should not. Nine months after we started the journey, um, we 
heard that there was this little boy born to a woman um, that two weeks before. We brought him home two days before Christmas, which was really, really fun. Um, and then we ended up getting called to Illinois to pastor, uh, be, he was going to be youth pastor up in Illinois. And so the, the day that we were moving, um, we, I just thought, you know, I, I wonder if I'm pregnant. I was late, but I had wondered this many, many times, been late many, many times. Mm -hmm. We literally stopped at a Kmart, um, as we were driving out of Florida and I took the test in a Kmart bathroom and it was positive. And I was pregnant with our first son, what nine months and Jake was nine months. So I really feel to, and we both really feel that we never would have brought Jake home if God had allowed us to become pregnant on our timing and on our terms. Wow. So, Thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you for your inspiring story and your honesty. And oh, now, thank you for having me. <laughs> yes, thanks so much. And now let's go to a special person that Charmaine knows very well, Pastor Mark Balmer, Charmaine's husband, as he shares from the good word and encourages us today in our journey of infertility. I think for me, um, Philippians 4 comes to mind that where Paul says, I've learned to be content in every circumstance. And, you know, for me, during the time of infertility, it wasn't as hard for me as it was for my wife, but uh, watching her agonize through that time was really hard to see her struggle to be content in the Lord and be content just being married without kids. And so, my discontentedness was really for her in many respects. So that was hard. But I think also looking back on it now, Proverbs 3, you know, to trust in the Lord and and lean on our own understanding, you know, and realize that God has the right thing in mind, whatever it is. And it's not easy at that time to accept this idea that you want a child, but you can't. And it's really very a, a tough season for people to go through. But I think you do, especially getting on this side of it, you realize the Lord knows he's got his timing. He has his reasons for the answers to prayer that he does give us, whether we like those or not, or we like the timing of those or not. We just have to remember the Lord is faithful. He was with us and he'll be with you too. Well, what a show. From uh, Reverend Dr. Stacy and Sheridan and Charmaine, thank you so much for your story of infertility. Uh, just so honest and real about the struggle. You know, one of my takeaways from this show is that we must remain faithful no matter what. The emotions are real. We need to grieve and be angry and struggle. But I think it's important that no matter what, that we remain hopeful and faithful, even if the outcome isn't what we wanted or thought it would be. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love us and he's with us. And as you saw from those stories, each one with different outcomes of their infertility journey. 
some who chose not to adopt or have kids, some who did get pregnant and then uh, start a support program, and some who didn't even know if they were going to get pregnant and then adopted and then got pregnant. The story to, stories are all different, but there's the same thread to it all, that through it all, they remained faithful to Jesus and they remained faithful uh, to one another and to their spouse. And so as you struggle, if you're struggling with infertility, know that you're not alone, that there are plenty of resources on our website at seeherelove.com to help you. If you want to know more about our guests and their resources, uh, go to our website to read their blogs and their stories as well. And as you struggle and as you grieve and as you are filled with shame and secrecy, as you reach out to a friend to help and to pray, and as you decide that there is redemption and there is life after great pain, know this, that you are seen, you are heard, and you are deeply loved by God. See Here Love with Melinda Estabrooks is a production of Crossroads Christian Communications Incorporated, a member of the Canadian Council of Christian Charities. To support this program, please visit seeherelove.com and click the donate button or call 1-800-265-3100. And from me and the See Here Love team, thanks so much for your support.